What is going on, guys? This is Jordan from the Undergraduate Survival Guide. Here we have a <laughs> remastered, retitled edition with my guy Osman. How you How you been since two days ago? Um, I don't know. Actually, I'm I'm hoping I'm better prepared this time around. Um, yeah, just to give a bit of context. Last time, I don't know what happened last time, but um, I think three heli- helicopters just came around Jordan's yard and then just messed up his audio, just messed up everything. So uh, we we go again. We move. We go again, man. We're always doing everything we can to get um the best quality. <laughs> you know, this ironic because as, as soon as you said that, your audio just chopped out for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think um I'll try and talk somewhat slower so Skype can keep up. <laughs> I, I, I've been saying the internet's intrinsically racist, so we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we can hope. We can hope. We can hope it's not racist. Literally, man. Uh, I want to ask you again, the yeah. same as what I asked you last time about, um, mm. comparing work to uni, because obviously you're off again today, and we talked about, <laughs> 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 I mean, you, you, you're spending off camera, like, obviously, uh, no one's taking holidays during Corona, mm. but I'm still a bit, not confused, but I'm still a bit, mm-hmm. um, what's a good word to put this, concerned, almost, about comparing work-life balance before and after uni, because I would always assume, even after what you said the last time you talked, I would still assume that, Uni is way more harder. In terms of work-life balance? Yeah. And in terms of like general stress it's, levels. Bit too crazy. Yo, 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 waffling. <laughs> as in, as in, all right, let me, let me try and think of how to articulate this. So basically, um, I think in terms of work-life balance, it depends on your job. I'm not going to lie to you. It depends on your job and it depends on what you do. If, say, you work in an, if you say, let's say you're an investment banker, right? Your hours, sort of very 24-7, you're not really working like a consistent um, hours. Like I say, for example, uh, one day you might be in the office at 9 a.m. and you'd leave that day at, let's say, 8. The next day you might come in and you might actually come in at, let's say, 7 a.m., 7.30, and you'd leave at like 11 p.m. So it sort of varies. And then sometimes you might have to come in on Saturday, you might have to come in on Sunday. So it's like it's ridiculously hard to predict sometimes. And then, for example, let's say, uh, let's say I'm like, will you join? Let's, let's meet up this Saturday, right? And then Saturday morning comes, I get a text being like, oh shit, something's happening. I need to be in the office. And that kind of stuff, that kind of work-life balance. It depends on your job because at certain points, at certain times in your career, it's sort of not really dependent on you, but it's dependent on what you do. And, um, I think in my case is, is, is better because like, uh, I'd say that my hours are fairly consistent. I probably come in around nine and I probably leave around 6.37, around that kind of time, 6, 6.37, around that time. That's like, that's like sort of my standard set of hours and I don't really come in on weekends. Um, so then at least with that, I've sort of got a consistent hour. I, as in, I've got consistent hours so I can sort of balance my life or plan or schedule my life around that. Uh, with uni, I think the difference in uni is you just have so much more freedom because let's say you had a lecture at 10 a.m. You have the opportunity to be like, okay, I, I'm not actually going to go to this lecture. I'm going to revise at home or let me just skip the lecture and come to uni at 11. I'll just catch up in the library. Or let me just not go into uni at all today or I'll come in tomorrow. Or you have so much flexibility and freedom in terms of the choice that you make that you don't really have in terms of work. For example, with work, you have to be in the office unless you're like sick on your holiday. You're going to be in the office probably. So then like, I think in terms of, I'd say with balance, it depends on your schedule. I feel like um, when you're working and when you're employed, it's much easier to have a regimented schedule where you can sort of plan and have like a more like balanced routine with your life. In terms of uni, because everything's a little bit more flexible and you have a lot more freedom, it's more dependent on the person and how sort of, um, 
how sort of strict you are with your routine, how regimented you are. But the amount of freedom that you're given to, that's given to you as a uni student, I feel like that's something that you probably won't ever get again in, unless you're like unemployed or unless you're sort of like taking a sabbatical or unless you're just doing your own thing. That kind of freedom that you get as a uni student is something that you would always miss when you like make that transition and you jump from uni to work, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> I hear that. Mm. I just think like maybe it's because I do engineering, which is like, one of the more intensive courses, like similar to like medicine, you'd argue. But that my problem with with uni is that you come in, you do your, you know, nine until three, mm-hmm. nine until four, whatever, however long your day is. And then even you, when you finish, you've got to go okay. back and do more. Say again? You were going to uni at 9am. You were actually going to your 9am lectures. <laughs> I mean, my parents are listening, so of course. <laughs> <laughs> but now, even, even if you don't, I mean, I, I see your point there. Like you have more, I guess, discretion mm-hmm. on how you use your time at uni. You can afford to miss like, a couple of lectures and, uh, still do the work. Yeah. But I think my perception on it is like, even when you do finish your typical like nine to five day at uni, you still got to come back and do coursework and then catch yeah. up some extra lecture notes. So you never really have that, that downtime unless you obviously manufacture it yourself. Whereas at work, I guess it's different for banking, but in any, like in most other industries, you come in at nine, you finish at five and then from 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. the next day is basically your time to do whatever you want. Mm. And you have weekends to yourself as well. There's no need to like keep doing work on week. I mean, you said that sometimes if there's a call on a Saturday, you might have to go into the office, but yeah, I feel like. I get, I get what you're thinking. I get what you're trying to say in terms of like, with uni, there's always work to be done. Like, for example, you, you leave uni or for example, you go home, there's sort of revision to do or so there's sort of coursework to mash or there's sort of like an exam to revise to. And with work, as soon as you leave the office, you're not really thinking about work. You're mentally away from that. Mm. And I get that. And I get that. But on the other hand, or like on the other scale, you can sort of say that, for example, with uni, it's sort of, it's sort of dependent on you as a person. That's like, that's the big change. That's the game changer here, right? It's just dependent on you as a person. With me, for example, what I just tended to do was, especially during exam season, exam revision, I'd be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do today. This is sort of my, this is what I'm going to do today in terms of the task I'm going to achieve. This is how much I'm going to revise. This is how much I'm going to do. Like, I might do like one or two past papers today and that's it. I'm done for today. So what I'd do is, for example, I'd come in at it, say, during exam season, I'd probably come to you at 10. I'd mash my work. I'd get my like, um, exam questions done. I'd get my, like maybe I said, let me cap, let me revise over these two chapters today and I'm done. So when I'm done, I'm just like, all right, cool. I've done it today. Let's say if I, if I finish at 2 p.m., I'm going to leave at 2 p.m. If it takes me until 6 p.m., I'll leave at 6 p.m. If I, it takes me until 8 p.m., I'll, I'll stay till 8 p.m. to just get the list of things that I wanted to do for that day done. But as soon as I, I get that stuff done, I can just leave. And as soon as I left uni, I didn't care about my uni work because I was like, I did what I needed to do today and I'll continue what I need to do tomorrow. Like I think it's just dependent on you as a person rather than like with work, for example, um, obviously you might get stressed out about work and you might be thinking about um, things that you need to do or like for example if there's work that you might think is not up to standard that might like always be continuously on your mind but at least with work when you leave the office you're not really expected to do more work or you're not really doing more work anyway but I think it's just about being more sort of regimented it's sort of being a bit more strict and being a bit more honest with yourself as a uni student and I think that's just because you have so much more freedom to yourself like do not underestimate the freedom that you get as a uni student. Like, for example, if you wanted as a uni student, let's say it's, it's January, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to go to Spain for a week. You can just do that. You don't need to sort of go to your uni and be like, oh, I'm going to go abroad for a week. They don't care. Like, it's not going to matter. At least with work, you have to ask your manager, you have to ask your team if you can take days off or you can sort of 
like it's not just about you anymore it's sort of about you and the team and the dynamic and what needs to be done for your projects what needs to be done for your work at least with uni it's all on you and that is a feeling that you can't replicate anywhere else mm, that's very true i guess it comes down to mm-hmm. uh, like whether you're comfortable you know being given a structure or if you're yeah. good enough to make your, to manage your time yourself effectively I think I'm definitely in the in the latter. <laughs> yeah, no, it it takes. I'm not gonna. Lie to you, it it does take time to adjust. I remember when I was in first year uni. Um, so right before I joined uni, I started working at JD in Oxford Street, and um, that just took a bare amount of time. I don't know why it took so much time. I don't know why I put so much effort into JD Sports. I'm to this day I'm still thinking, <laughs> why the fuck did I do that? But like, for example, when I first started, I think I was working like twenty thirty hours a week. Um, during uni and I think for the first half of my like first half of my first year I was basically doing like 30, 40, 30 hours of work at JD Sports and I basically just didn't go to uni at all because I was like yeah I'm just at work and I'll catch up later and that catches up to it bite it bit me in the ass in like January and then I was like all right cool let me switch my routine and, and I just told my manager at JD I'm only going to work weekends from now on and then I started going to uni during like Monday to Friday but still it it took me I, I think it took me a, a solid year and a half I think by the time I got into like second year, that's when I probably sort of like gave myself a routine and sort of gave myself a proper work ethic. I think first year was completely an adjustment year for me um, in terms of learning how to study, learning how to give myself a routine because I just got lost. I was lost. I, I'm sorry, but like when you think about it, I put more work and effort into my into my ability as a sales assistant at JD Sports than my <laughs> degree. And I think about that and I'm just like, if I look at back, if I look back at myself, I would slap my first year self. He made he made money. I give I give myself credit for that. First year Osman made some money, but it was not worth it. It was not worth it. Nightmare. That's interesting. I feel like I did a similar thing with Domino's in my first year, but then my excuse is always that I'm driven more by reward than mm-hmm. by like because obviously uni is more delayed gratification, right? It takes four or three years to get to get the bag out of that. But I'm so much more driven by like you know put in three hours and you get paid for this, or you put in. You know, you put out one podcast a day and you get X number of views. Like, I just like the, the instant reward strategy. It's probably not good <laughs> for my long-term growth, but I guess I recognize that trait of mine. And that's, that's kind of how I justify, um, the effort that I put into work. Do you think you have like a similar uh-huh. type of, you know, reward structure or do you like deeply regret that? I don't know. I've never actually thought about it in that way, to be honest. I think for me, just as you were saying that, I was trying to think about myself, like, how do I view rewards? And, um, I think it's a balance for me. I think balance is very key because let's say, um, it's sort of balance and sort of understanding because, uh, the way I'm thinking about it is like, for example, if you're always chasing like long-term rewards and long-term success, you're never really getting to enjoy the short term as well. So it's sort of learning about how can I work towards the long term whilst enjoying the short term as well. And it's balance because for example, I think just think about it as like, just think about life and think about work as a whole, for example, right? Uh, let's say you work and then you work until retirement and then you, you sort of retire and then you enjoy your life at retirement. That's a very sort of like, for me, that's very boring. That's, that's not really enjoyable. I'm not really trying to live my, my life at like 60 or, or 50 or when you retire and you're old. Like people want to sort of enjoy their lives now. And it's sort of a balance. Like how much effort do you put into playing and sort of messing and relaxing and sort of enjoying your life now? And how much work do you have to put in to sort of be able to relax and enjoy your life later as well? It's sort of getting that balance about what do I need to do now to make sure that I enjoy my life or enjoy myself or I, I view, I reap the rewards of my work in the future. 
as well as whilst I'm re- uh, like putting in the work to reap my rewards in the future, how can I also set aside time to, to get that instant reward that I want now as well? Like it's a balance. Like I, I don't think there's anything wrong or intrinsically wrong with wanting short term rewards or short term gratification because it, it feels good. Like you, you release a podcast, you get the views, you get the likes and the comments. It'll feel good. You, you go to work and then the week after you get your money for that work again, it will feel good. And like you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be felt like you shouldn't be made bad or you shouldn't feel bad for, for having that sort of system. It's just sort of how, like recognizing that, how do you get a balance into ensuring that you're sort of understanding whilst this is short term, how am I also working towards my long term? And whilst I am working towards the long term, like it's not just about the long term. How can I also enjoy and sort of reap the rewards in the short term as well? Cause I feel like whilst you're walking, like whilst you're working towards the long term and when, if when you do it in a way that's right for you, you will also be enjoying and reaping the rewards in the short term as well. It's never going to be a thing where you're just constantly working or you're constantly just viewing the long term outlook. You're sort of getting uh, a short term sort of reward as well. I feel like I've just waffled for the past five minutes, but forgive me. <laughs> I hope you understand. <laughs> nah, nah, it's a great bit, man. I think um, I think a different way of articulating that is you're kind of saying that there's a intrinsic difference, I guess, between like physical reward and I guess mm. emotional reward or kind of like value like depending on how you, your set of values Wait, what the heck is physical reward like money or like monetary reward or yeah I was, yeah <laughs> I was thinking like what's physical I'm sorry I, just, I mentally just fucked <laughs> out I mentally just fucked out sorry <laughs> <laughs> no it's calm uh, no, I get that I get that I get that um no yeah as in like physical rewards they can be both long term and they can be short term because for example you can be working towards something that gives you way more money in the future than it would in the in the short term. So again, you can have physical rewards in the long term. You can have emotional rewards in the short term as well. It's like I wouldn't categorize one as solely in one category or sort of one outlook. Like you need a balance of both. You need both physical and like mental and physical and emotional rewards in the short term and long term. You should never really like you wouldn't you would like I wouldn't like advocate like for example sacrificing your mental health now for something in the future or sacrificing your mental health in the future for something now like you need a balance like i think life is about balance mm-hmm. yeah i hear that i think i guess what's in what's important in a sense is knowing what you want our life mm. and like there's no need to sell out just for money if that's not what, we, what you really want versus there's no point volunteering for 10 years if you really just want to buy a lambo like you need to figure out what you want and then i guess kind of stay true to that if you really want to just, I don't think anyone, anyone could just be like, yeah, I want to buy a Lambo today and just buy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no cash in a year, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put half money coming through, yeah. <laughs> no, I'll exchange my Tesla share for an Aventador. <laughs> my one share. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you need some major returns on that share. But no, as in like, even when you were just saying that, um, I think you mentioned, yeah. Let me think what you just mentioned. You mentioned, um, like knowing what someone wants out of life. And that's, that's even a very difficult question as well. That takes ages to figure out. Even I don't know what I want out of life. Like no one, like, I don't know. I, I barely know anyone that I can meet right now and be like, what do you want out of life? And they can give me a concrete answer because like, it's very hard to, I think this is like a very like a loaded, not a loaded question, but sort of like, you know, you're in GCSE, you're in A levels, you're sort of doing your uni degree and you're doing all these choices that have a, a big impact on your life and at the same time you don't really know what you want out of life as well so it's sort of a a bit of a weird way to sort of like the education system is a bit weird when where you're sort of being asked to like specialize or sort of um 
chime in or sort of focus on specific areas when you're not entirely sure what area or what sort of um, path of life is right for you or what you sort of want out of it as well. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting because like, I remember you talking a bit about your choice to choose physics on its own and that even that goes to show how like you never really know how you, where you're getting up until you get there. Like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I think let me just break down my mental process for for the for the for the podcast there because I don't think yeah because we had this separate conversation so it's not really here so I'll, I'll probably give it to these guys now. Um, basically, short term, like long story short, I have no idea why I picked physics for a degree. Like, there's no real concrete answer. I just picked it because I picked it. <laughs> now, if I could, if I broke that down into like a longer story, um, I think it probably starts in. Uh, GCSEs were, um, I think my favorite subjects were actually maths, um, history and French. I think those are my favorite subjects at GCSE. And, um, I think initially when I did my A levels, I picked maths, history, physics and chemistry. And I'm honestly not sure I picked physics and chemistry. I think there were other subjects I enjoyed way more than those two, but I just picked them because like, I, I actually, I actually cannot describe or explain why I just picked, I just picked those subjects because I thought, you know what? This is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. Let's just do it. And then um, it got into, I think it was like, it got into a month of A-levels and I had friends in further maths who were really enjoying further maths. And um, and I wanted to be my friends and I was sort of thinking, yeah, like, I love history, but like, look, let me just stitch it and, and pick further maths instead. Like uh, my further maths teacher, he kept poaching me, kept asking me, Osman, you need to join this class. Osman, this class is perfect for you. And um, it got to a point where I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. So I emailed my history teacher being like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to drop out of history and um I wanted to do further maths instead because that's how the blocks were. If I wanted to do um, further maths, I had to drop either history or physics. And I was just like, I, to this day, I still don't know why I did that. But as in, I just, I just, I just like, sometimes you just feel like you know what the right decision is to do. So I just did it. And, um, you just get that gut instinct. You just get that gut feeling. So, um, I told my history teacher that. And then ironically, the email that I sent was literally half an hour before I had my history lesson with him. And, um, bear in mind, at this point, I think I was, I'm 99% sure I was like my history teacher's favorite student, like across the school. So I, um, I was basically like a golden child. <laughs> I remember, cause I remember because he saw that email and, um, he told me to stay, he told me to stay in because right after the history lesson was lunch and he told me to just stay in and we could have a conversation, just discuss this. And he tried to convince me to stay being like, Osman, you need to stay for history. You'd love this subject. It's for you. And I was just like, nah, so I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I'm just going to change. And, um, I, I just feel like changing. Uh, I leave the class and then he sends me this email, like, like full on no with like all caps. Like there's like 50 O's in that one email. And he just says, oh, man, please just don't need this class. And I leave the class and bear in mind, this guy's ahead of my year. So, um, every day, like when you come into school, your head of year is sort of standing outside like the gate or sort of the way you walk into the school. And he just says hi to everyone for the next two years of my A level. He just gave me dirty looks. And I think it's just, it's just awkward now whenever I see him, he just gives me that weird look, you know, like, you're a bastard that left my class. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but it is what it is. <laughs> Raw. Um, it was funny because I didn't, you know, it's just sort of those decisions. You can't really explain why you did it, but you just sort of, you just sort of felt like your gut instinct was telling you just make this choice. And then if it, whatever happens, happens. Mm. And then, um, then that came and then, um, AS grades came out and I got a B in chemistry and a C in physics. And, um, after you get your AS grades, you still have to speak to your head teacher about, um, what's it called, um, or you speak to someone that tells you what you should pick for your A2 or sort of what, what subject you should drop. Because I think at that point you did four AS subjects. I think now most people do three. 
Um, mm. at that point we were doing four and then, yeah, my teacher was telling me, yeah, Osman, just drop, drop physics and keep on chemistry. But I was just like, I just don't enjoy chemistry as much as I did enjoy physics. And even though I got a worse grade in physics, I guess, I was like, fuck it, let me just keep it. So I dropped the chemistry. I kept on physics. I kept on the C and I just, um, I mashed it. And then it got to the point where you have to pick a degree. And, um, I got like an A star and no, at that point I got two A's. I got two A's in maths and further maths because it was AS. You couldn't get an A star. Um, but then at that point, I looked at those grades and then, um, so you know, when you pick your university degrees or your, your university degree choices, I got like this massive book of all the possible um, courses across all the possible unis. And I made this like a massive Excel spreadsheet of being like, all right, these are all the courses I'm interested in. Uh, engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, civil engineering, physics, maths, ec- economics, all this, blah, 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 statistics. And I was just like, because I think at that point for me as well, like my three favorite things that I wanted to do that I knew I still wanted to do was I wanted to do something mathematical. I wanted to, like I saw because um my secondary school was sponsored by UBS, um I sort of was, I felt like I was going to be headed in a finance direction anyway. So I wanted something that might help me with like the, uh, with ec- economics or sort of um give me some sort of financial knowledge. And I wanted something that like had languages and like with it as well. Or I wanted to learn more about languages anyway, because I just enjoyed learning languages. Mm. And then I came to the point where I was like, Osman, anything I do is going to have math anyway. So I don't need to, sp- I don't need to pick math specifically. And I'm like, if I'm going into like the financial industry or if I, f- I feel like I probably will be heading in that direction. I don't need to pick economics. I don't need to pick a specific finance course because I'll learn that in my job anyway. I don't need to spend my uni degree learning something I'm going to be learning in my job, especially when that job doesn't even require a specific degree. So I like, I don't need to study economics. I can get that out of the way. And I was like, and I just said to myself, if I'm really passionate about languages, I'll learn that anyway outside of my course. So I don't need the university degree to tell me that I need to study the specific language. So I was like, all right, cool. I can just fund that as well. So then what I was left with was maths. And I was like, I just didn't want to study maths alone as a standalone subject. So I just thought, you know what, physics seems cool. Um, it has a lot of like, it's a very broad subject. So let me just pick it and see where it takes me. Like I just picked it because I just thought, let me just see where this takes me. And that's like the most concrete reasoning I have behind why I picked my degree for what it was. Mad, mad, mad. You know, it's funny. Last time you said that, I kind mm. of took it at face value and just, and we moved on. But now that I'm listening to you properly, it's like, that very much mirrors my own experience. Like, mm-hmm. I was so close to picking um either film studies or media because mm. I just love film. I'm like, you know, what, let me pick something that's at least going to be fun instead mm-hmm. of just doing two more years of maths. Mm-hmm. But then I, I sat down and I'm like, <laughs> going back to like the physical reward versus emotional one, I'm like, do I really want to spend a year learning something that I like or do I want to spend a year learning something that's going to get me paid? And I ended up going for same as you, maths, first, maths, physics, chemistry. Mm-hmm. And then I hated chemistry. The whole year I was just like so bitter about chemistry that I knew I was going to drop it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting AA, I think it was AABC or AACC in physics and chemistry with the two, with the B's and the C's. And my teachers were like, look, you fucked up for both of these, but they were saying that chemistry is easier than physics. So just, I'm better off dropping that mm-hmm. and working on chemistry. But I said to myself, like, I'm so much, like, I was, I'm so disinterested in chemistry that I'd rather do physics. Mm-hmm. And then like same route as you, I took math, math, math physics into AA, and then mm-hmm. I didn't go through all the degrees mm-hmm. like as extensively I guess but I was thinking like I really like maths so let me look into maths yeah. and I thought I don't want to be doing years of proofs so let me do maths and physics yeah. the only unis offering <laughs> the only unis offering maths and physics were like Oxford which was like A star A star A I think Warwick which was like three A stars or A star A star A and Step 
Mm-hmm. And I hit one other uni. So I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not putting myself through for years. That was also one of the reasons I was like, fuck maths. I'm not, I'm, I can't be off doing extra exam. <laughs> Literally. And even Oxford, they had, um, was it, a, I think it was a PAT, the PAT physics. Yeah, they had physics aptitude, yeah. I did that test as well. And man, I, like, I remember I picked Oxford at the last second. Like, I think the deadline to pick it was October 15th. So I picked it on, like, literally the day before I was like, fuck it, I'm going to apply to Oxford. And mm. you had to sign up for the PAT and I didn't spend my summer revising for the PAT. I think I spent like two, three weeks learning for it. And then I got my results and I was like 10, I was like five marks away from like the interview mark. And I was like, oh, if you just revised, like, because I just picked at the last minute, but I'm glad I didn't get to, I, I'm glad I didn't go to Oxford though. I'm, I'm very glad I didn't. Word, word, word. That was like the best <laughs> ever rejection. Best. Looking back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, obviously, obviously at the time, I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to go to a good uni. Like, I was so close to considering a gap year to come back and reapply. Oh, that would have been a bad decision, man. Yeah, yeah. Looking back, I'm so happy I didn't get into Oxford, man. Because, like, even, because let's say you even you took that year out just to apply for Oxford. Regardless if you took that year out, there's no guarantee you'll even get Oxford anyway. Like, with, like, I feel like, like, for example, if you take a year out just to apply for one specific uni, I always feel like that's a bad choice because, I mean, unless you're like ridiculously passionate about going to that one specific uni, studying this one specific course, just taking a year out to, to, to make that choice where it's not even guaranteed or it's still not really, it's like, it's sometimes it's just down to chance. Like you might, like you might just get rejected because you get rejected because of just the volume of applications they get. So mm. sometimes, I don't know, I, I, I know of cases of people that do this and I'm just like, don't do that because it's just not worth it. Yeah, yeah. The only one I'd recommend it is if, like, you're predicted, mm-hmm. I don't know, B- BBC, and you're not getting free SARS. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Like, not, I, I don't mean that. I mean as in, like, you missed out the grade by a grade or two, and you want to just go to that specific uni. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, by specific uni, I just mean Oxford, right? But I'm not saying, like, for example, if you really want to go to, like, um, if you want to really go to Bristol, and then you take a year out to apply to Bristol, like, and you, and your Bristol's, like, your passionate place, and you want to be there. Like, I don't, I don't think there's an issue with that. I think, there's an issue with like taking a year out just to apply for Oxbridge because Oxbridge is, it's not guaranteed at all by no means necessary. Mm. And I feel like, I mean, obviously you've got a take on this as well from UCL, but obviously Oxbridge is better in terms of the name is more known. Like mm-hmm. if you can, if you compare it to football, they're like the Liverpool and Man United's of the world, the biggest unions in the country. But like, mm-hmm. I don't think they're substantially better than, you know, the Bristol or the UCL. So even the London unis as a, as a, I guess conglomerate for lack of a better word, but like, I don't think it's that substantial to go to Oxford versus like LSE, UCL, Bristol, that you need to take out a whole year of your life <laughs> just to apply for it. I don't know what your take is on that. I think like my take is you have to have a good reason for it. I think, for example, if there's a course that is right for you and that like that is your specific course and it's only offered at Oxford or Cambridge and like you know that that's the one for you, I understand why you'd want to take that year out to sort of apply for that because you know, like your university, uni is not cheap, you know, it's like at least 27 grand a year. I mean, not a year, so across the three mm. years without interest and without the loans and without all this like mumble jumble. But yeah, yeah. so you have to be deliberate. I'm just saying like, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with like applying for Oxford. I just think you need the right reasoning and the right sort of concrete fundamentals to know why you want to apply for these unis. Like if you have a good reason to and you feel like, you know what, you want to go there, then by all means, go for it. I'm not going to dissuade someone from applying to Oxbridge. Like, if you get into it, that's amazing. It's it's just sort of, 
and like for example it's just sort of my my opinion on it's just um like when you take that year out just for that specific uni you have to make you have to know that that is the right choice for you because a gap year is also a very important time to sort of like you can do so many things with that with a gap year and to like for example you only know about your oxbridge rejection on your sort of like on results day because by that point you would have known you got rejected anyway because from before anyways i'm waffling here but like to then do it at, at the last second just so you can reapply for one specific uni i always feel like it's a bad choice mm. but in terms of like when you're actually at the unis um as in there's a difference right as in like i think it opens a lot of doors going to those unis 100 percent. i think that's undeniable i think it's just about what experience do you want to gain from your university experience like what what kind of university experience do you want um, because I've known people that, that have went Cambridge. I know people that have went Oxford and I went to UCL. So I, like, I, I can compare experiences, like, especially within the physics, like with, with physics as well. I know people that have studied uh, physics at Oxbridge and I know people that have studied natural sciences at Cambridge and the, the people that studied natural sciences at Cambridge, they were sort of revising 30, 40 hours a week and like just to, just to stay on like level, just to stay like on track and that's a lot of work and that's a lot of like mental sort of mental like that's a very like heavy workload and it sort of depends on like if you want to go through that experience and if if you sort of think that's the right one for you then by all means go for it i just felt like that wasn't the right one for me so that that i'm just glad i didn't get to go <laughs> yeah, yeah i hear you man what was your reason if you're going to ucl above like anywhere else uh actually ucl my first choice and then bristol my second choice <laughs> so I could, I could nice. have gone to uni. I could have gone to uni with you, Brian, Tiger, all the guys. I could have actually been like part of that little <laughs> circle. Um, I think for me, it was just sort of, do I want to stay in London or do I want to leave London? And um, essentially for me, it's, if I want to stay in London, I'm going to go UCL. If I want to leave London, I'm going to go Bristol. And mm. I think it was just a spur of the moment decision that made me think, you know what, London's the place I want to be at. Um, I think for me, as in like all my friends and my close friends know, like Hackney is very close to my heart. Like Hackney is where my heart's at. And even within London, like for example, you know when people ask you where do you want to live when you grow up, I've always lived in I always I've always lived in Hackney and I always want to live in Hackney. So for example, even within London, I'm very localized to my region, and I think just just I'm so attached to London. I think I probably it's probably a bad thing, and I probably should just escape the city and probably explore. The, just different areas within England because for me it's always been if I'm not in London I'm somewhere else outside of the UK it's very London centric and I know it's gonna like just piss people off that that don't like London or that are from other cities outside of London so I apologize <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not saying like for example London's a better city than the other cities in the UK <clears throat> I think they are but I'm not gonna say that yeah they, they they undeniably are just in my opinion it is based on the experience that I've had in other cities um but I think just for me, it's just, I just want to be in London, so I'm just going to go to UCL. And if I wasn't in London, I'd be abroad or I'd be somewhere else that isn't the UK. Man, I never realized you were such a, a patriot. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a patriot. I'm not a patriot. It's just, it's just, I don't know. You just, you just get attached to home, you know? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. For me, like, I would have loved to stay in London. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I didn't is because I'd have to live at home. Mm. <laughs> I feel like part of, uh, how do I say this about getting in trouble? <laughs> I find I understand like the moving out experience is also a very sort of like unique experience as well, and it's sort mm. of 
it's a great learning curve. I think that's something I do regret though. Not regret, but just to have the experience of moving out. I know for me mentally, what I wanted to do was, um, like for example, for me, if I wanted to move out, I wanted to move out permanently. I didn't want to be like a uni student that sort of moves out for uni. And then when uni finishes, come back home. So for mm. me, it's sort of like I'd move out. But when I move out, it's sort of like me just permanently moving out. So then like, that's why I, I didn't really have an issue with sort of like, cause I stayed at home for uni. So I didn't really, like, I didn't really mind that too, because like for me mentally, it was sort of thing like when I finish uni and I move out, it's sort of, I've just moved out. So I, it's not like I'll be, I can see myself moving back in in a couple of years time after my uni degree finishes as well. So I think that's what sort of like swayed me and sort of made me realize it doesn't, I didn't really care about living at home at, uh, during uni because like I liked living at home anyways. It wasn't, it wasn't sort of a, a negative thing for me anyways. I think for certain people, they need to move out for uni and they sort of like, they need to get away from home. And I understand why some people would. I just think for me, um, that wasn't as applicable. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting take because I know a lot of my, a lot of friends, including Brian, like when you do three years, four years at uni, you come home and it's like, I just want to get out. <laughs> like, yeah, you kind of get used to that independence. I yeah. think. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to hear you say that. You never, I guess you never really had that shock of like, yeah, having to do it all. Exactly. Exactly. Like for me, for example, if I went to Bristol and I moved out for three years and then I came back home, I would hate it here. I promise you, I guarantee I would hate it. Um, and that would make me more likely to then want to move out in a year or two. I haven't done that. So then I don't have that feeling. I don't have that like angst of wanting to leave out soon, but, but I know that I probably will do soon. So then when I do, it's sort of like a very permanent type thing rather than a, a temporary three year, four year move out for uni and then come back home. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess then it's more, mm-hmm. not more powerful, but it's like, it's more symbolic. Like you're actually a grown man. Now you've got your job, you've got your life sorted out. <laughs> I, don't, out. Not, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's not really, I wouldn't class it. I wouldn't class it like a symbolic thing. It's just sort of, I, I've just moved out. Like let's not, let's not make a bigger deal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a big deal, especially for parents. Cause it's like, this is the first time where you, you like you yourself would have been out of home, like for a, Mm. permanently yeah that is true that is true I, I get that I get that I think I mean I think I mean for me in my household uh like there's six kids right so we all still live at home so no one's actually moved out yet but I think it's me it's gonna be a funky feeling when one of us does mm. are you the oldest no no I've got all the sister so um I think she probably will be the first oh man I'm the oldest of five so I think it's a very similar thing mm-hmm. but I guarantee I'm gonna be first hundred percent. You just let, you just, you just finished uni. Wait, no, you've got one more year left, don't you? Ah, uh, two. <laughs> oh, 2022, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely going to be back soon. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Moving out is a big thing. But like, it's interesting how you say you want to stay in Hackney. Like, I would have thought, I, was, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm just not too keen on my own area myself, but. I don't know, like, I think it's just, when you consider the other areas in London, I think this is just basically disclaimer. This is just my personal opinion. This is just my like train of thought. I'm just yeah, of course. As in, <laughs> I just got to say it to people listening, innit? <laughs> as in, um, I think for me, it's just sort of, I love what my area has to offer. I think in terms of like when I go around and I see the people in the area, when I go around and I can see like the different sort of places available. Like if I walk down the street, I'm in Shoreditch. If I walk down the other side of the street, I'm in London Fields, I'm in Dalston, I'm in, I can, Hackney Central's just down the road, I can, like, I've got lots of family in the area, so it's sort of like, it's very convenient for what I need, and then sort of, like, the area 
it's sort of like the area's improved over the past few I think especially since the Olympics, there's been a lot of like development into property and sort of development into making the area a better place to be. Mm. Uh, but then because of that we also have like some gentrification aspects as well. So then that also has to that also has a, an effect. But I think just overall, like in terms of what Hackney is and the the area that it is and what it has to offer for me as a person, it matches it. That's why I'd always want to stay in Hackney. Like I'm not going to say that there are, I'm not saying it as in like Hackney's the best place in London, period. The sort of like for my needs and for what I want as a person and what I want out of my area, Hackney sort of just matches it. Mm. Would you say like, because you were born here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your parents weren't. Would you say London feels like home to you? It's the only home I've ever really had, you know, like I've never gone back to Somalia. I've never actually gone to Somalia. Funnily enough, I've never actually been to Africa, which is, which it always shocks people when I tell them that. They, they're always like super shocked. Um, yeah. As in like the only person that's been to like, out of the kids, the only person that's been to Somalia out of the six kids that my parents have had is only one, which is like, um, my youngest brother. And what the hell? That's unexpected. No, as in, as in, it's, it's so. The youngest. Yeah, it's so. I can't, like he was, he was, he was basically like a toddler when he happened. So he can base he can barely remember anyways. So like none of us really remember what Somalia is like. None of us really know what it is like other than my parents. Like my dad goes back, I think once a year or once every two years now. But especially okay. when we were growing up, um, it was a, you basically didn't want it like the unrest in the area, the sort of the troubles in the region. Like you, it wasn't really a safe place to be. Um, even now sometimes you can sort of say it's not really a like holistically, it's not a safe place to be in certain areas. I think the region that I'm from, um, at times it's safe, at times it's not sometimes like, like, as in like, um, as in for me, just personally, it's tough because, um, so for me, um, when I was in year eight, so my uncle went to visit Somalia. So then, uh, he went to visit and, um, he was on the top floor, like he was in the house and then he was on like the, the top floor and then, like out of nowhere, out of the blue, someone just shot him. Fuck and, yeah, and um, yeah, so someone shot him, and yeah, so like on that day, on that night, um, none of us really knew what was going on, and like not even like I don't know, like the bullet was silent. I don't know, like no one heard anything. So this was at night, and um, my auntie or my grandma, she goes up in the morning. Cause, um, he didn't come down for breakfast and then, um, she goes up to his room. He's on his bed, the bullet in his back and the bed soaked with blood. And we find out the news in the morning. And I saw that kind of, and I remember that day and, um, cause I wake up and, oh, I remember this day because at that time my uncle was abroad and my dad was abroad, but my dad was in Saudi Arabia at the time. And I remember, I remember my mom on the phone cause she got the phone call. And immediately she gets the phone call. Like, I remember the phone rings and I have like a heavy feeling. Like I, I feel something in my chest. I don't, I, I know that there's bad news coming. Mm. And like at the time, like I know my dad's abroad, right? And I, at the time, I think something's bad. Something bad's happened to my dad. And, and I feel like something bad's happened to my dad. So then my mom picks up the phone and then she just starts screaming. Like she's screaming like, like manically, like, like it, you can hear the shrills in her voice and we run. Like I, I, I was turning on the PS3 at the time because I was like, yeah, I'm going to mash some FIFA today. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to back. Cause this was a weekend. This was a Saturday. This was like the last week of some holidays right before um school starts. 
And I was mm. like, yeah, 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 I'm going to mash this game. I'm going to, because I remember at that time, uh, FIFA was the only game I had on PS3. So that was the only game we played 24 7 throughout that summer. And I was like, what I used to do was I used, I used to make like career mode games and like I'd, I'd make some, I'd, I'd join a team in like League Two and I'd get them all the way up to the Premier League and sort of mash that. And I was sort of really getting into it. And I turned on the PS3 and then I just hear the voice from my mum and I'm just like, something's clicked, something's gone wrong. I run to my mum. We all run to my mum. We were all like, what, what just happened then? And I find out my uncle died. And that was tough. And then obviously, like that lives with you, right? Mm. And at the time, I remember I was thinking to myself, am I a bad person? Because cause I, at, at first I thought it was my dad. Something bad happened to my dad. And it wasn't. And it was my uncle instead. And I thought to myself, am I a bad person for, for it being glad that it wasn't my dad? Does that make me a bad person? I remember I thought, to my, I thought about that question for years as a person because I didn't tell anyone about this, by the way. You're the first person that I've talked about Mad. in a thought I have had. And I'm doing it on a podcast, which makes me, which makes it so weird. Um, <laughs> it's so, so weird. But I remember that question. I remember asking myself that question for years. Does that make me a bad person? When I heard the news about my uncle dying and I was glad it wasn't my dad. And I wasn't like, obviously, again, I was, I was broken. I was, I was shattered mentally all over the place. I was smoking. I was smoked. And I find out this news and it, it kind of like, at the time, like, it's just anything, like, it puts into your head, like, anything can happen at any time to anyone. And, like, Somalia is, like, it's, it's a dangerous place. So that's one of the biggest reasons we never, we've never gone back as a family. Um, obviously now the region, the region's a lot better. The region's a lot more stable. So I can see myself going back maybe in a few years, maybe in 10 years. I, I would want to go back at one point, but just right now, it's tough. Mm, yeah, I hear that, man. That's a lot to go through at a young age. Oh, it's, it is what it is, and it? it's like <laughs> you can't do much more than that. Yeah, yeah. That's not. I didn't know how to follow up to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know I was gonna say that. I didn't. I just, it just came out. I didn't. I didn't know I was gonna say it. Mad. <laughs> it is what it is. It's life. Yeah, it's good to hear that you you come through it though. Mm. Or at least on the journey to healing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you <stupid shit. laughs> <laughs> oh, you <prick. laughs> Sorry, man. I've been banging out red table talk recently. This is a- <laughs> um, okay. red table talk is basically just rinse out, putting your hand on the table, spreading your fingers across, and then just tapping it, and just saying buzzwords like toxic and manipulation and manifestation, and then just saying it slowly <laughs> with an inflection at the end of your voice, being like manifestation. It stops, and that's it. I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? Like, you're walking. <laughs> Red table talk, you know. I still haven't watched the Will Smith episode in full. Really? Yeah, and no, I haven't. As in the proper Will Smith one or the, um, yeah, the proper one. I've seen the one. Okay. <laughs> As in because, um, I just find that she just chats nonsense. I think Jade Smith just chats nonsense. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I've seen her content. I've seen her videos and it's, it's like, it's like when you, when you, when you, like, Deep the substance and deep like the actual content that she says, it's 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 just it's just it's just toxic shit. But that's wrapped up in 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 key buzzwords that make it sound like healing when it really isn't. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion on it. That's my take on her. Yeah, I hear you, man. And I, I don't know. I mean, this is a crazy um segue from the previous topic, no, but like the massive segue <laughs> on the podcast in general, <laughs> the graduate survival guide, mate. We're not under, we're not surviving under graduate. <laughs> Them ones. Now we'll, we'll pull it back in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, let's talk. But now on the topic of like Jada, 
my friend was talking to me yesterday about um Kanye mm. as well. And I've never understood the um like we talked about it briefly as well between us, like the infatuation with like celebrity culture because mm. these guys literally are like Michael Jordan's just a basketball player, Kanye's just a you know, a rapper, a producer. Jada's just to me like Will Smith's wife. I don't really see I come like, I don't care what these men say. She's an incredible actress, she's not just Will Smith's wife. Okay, let's put some give some respect on her name. Nah, I've never I don't think I've ever seen a film that she's in. Uh, have you ever watched Gotham? Nah. The TV show. She's in Gotham. She's really good in Gotham. Okay. I'll give us a credit for that. <laughs> that. The only good DC product of the last, like, decade. <laughs> All right. But nah, even excluding her, like, a lot of these celebrities just are, like, they are who they are. They're good at they're, what they do. They're people. They have no intrinsic value. Yeah. As in, I think, I think that we had this conversation before we had this conversation. I think, was it last week or something? Um, I don't like the fact that we sort of not worship, but like idolize celebrities and we sort of see them as higher than like normal people are. I get that because they have like a massive public platform. Uh, their voice can reach millions potentially. Um, like they're heard everywhere. So they sort of have that ability to, to make an impact, which they do. But I think because we see them as these people that have this platform, have this reach to sort of reach millions of people, we always sort of like look for them to be better than we are and we sort of just I don't know you you I think it dehumanizes celebrities it dehumanizes like like they're just people at the end of the day because they can have mistakes they're not perfect so when we're shocked with Kanye and his um sort of I'm not gonna call it outrage but sort of sort of like his his speech and sort of what he says I'm not really shocked by it because at the end of the day, Kanye is a man that has mental health issues. He has bipolar disorder um, and he struggles a lot. Like he lost his mom at an, early, at an early age and he's been struggling with it ever since. I know he's released incredible music and his music is, is legendary. He's got he's got a, a, a fantastic fashion line. He's got he's a really famous person. He's, he's a billionaire and, and, and so on. But break it down. He's just a man and he has mental health issues and we sort of mock him. We sort of say, oh, yeah, like, blah, 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 Kanye. We make memes out of it. But at the end of the day, he's just a man. Like, if we knew a guy that, like, for example, if we knew a guy down the street that had bipolar disorder, again, on that same level, we wouldn't be making sort of memes. We wouldn't be sort of shocked at the fact that, like, he he might say some, he might say some stuff or, like, I think because we see them to be, like, we always want them to be. I don't know. I, I don't know. Just my opinion. I might just be waffling now. So uh, I apologize just in case. But as in... Because we always see celebrities or idols to be better than we are, we sort of always like their faults, their good stuff. They're always it's always mag- it's always magnified, and we sort of we're ignorant to the fact that they can make mistakes. We're ignorant to the fact that they're not perfect human beings. Mm-hmm. For real, and I think even they're slightly tying that back into you know an undergraduate sense. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think people just have to be careful with who they like. I hate the, I hate the line influencer. Like, I get it, you're a celebrity because you're known by, like, X amount of people, but I don't understand how you value influence based on, like, the so-called, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Like, the arbitrary lines of what they've, you know, the credibility they've given or, like, given themselves through some sort of art. I've never really understood how they become, you know, influencers. I'm doing air gestures in real life, but, you know, <laughs> quote-unquote, influencers. And I think that transcends, like, even celebrity culture just into life in general, like, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I studied medicine because my mum made me do it. It's like, you really got to mm. think about who's saying what 
and like what merits them to have that opinion and what merits them to have that influence over your life because like if you just take what Kaya says at face value it's like why am I listening to this rant like as you say someone's got mental health issues someone who's big in the music world but what qualifies him to be a politician or what qualifies Jade or Pinkett Smith to be a, a counsellor or therapist or whatever? What, what qualifies these guys to do what they're doing what and once you start to think about what qualifies Donald Trump to be a politician or what qualifies Donald Trump to be the president ask me exactly. that yeah yeah no, ask me that. He is one. Like he, now that he is one, <laughs> ignoring his qualifications, <laughs> he is one. So, like you can see, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, and you're saying that what qualifies someone to be an influencer, but they can influence your decisions regardless. Let's say, like, right, bringing back to social media and social media influencers, right? Um, you see someone promote this this brand, you see someone promote this product, even if you sort of ignore the ads or you sort of ignore buying the product itself someone's going to buy that product or for example you see someone retweet something that you might be interested in buying or you sort of see an ad that you're thinking about buying and someone sort of advertises it to you like even if like that that has the power to influence you like i I get what you're trying to say but as in just the smallest things can sort of tick in your head and sort of give you reminders like if i say to you right now black zebras flying you're going to think about black zebras flying because you are because i just mentioned it like you can't think you can't stop thinking about something like you can't like actively block thoughts you know like if i say something you're going to think about it that's sort of just how the brain works and in that sort of sense like when someone calls themselves an influencer they bring something on social media you will see it you will be influenced even if you ignore that product you've been influenced to to look at it or their reach has reached you that in itself is powerful yeah no i agree with you to be fair but I also think it's not, it shouldn't always be a positive influence. Like you shouldn't yeah, automatically okay. default to positivity from a celebrity just because they are who they are. Yeah, 100% agree. I agree with that. Like not all influence is good. Sometimes you can be, like you can also be negatively influenced. Social media can negatively influence you as a person as well, can influence, negatively influence your thoughts, data analytics, like, like even just the whole thing with Cambridge Analytica and sort of like Brexit and sort of Trump's presidency. Uh, for example, if you Google pres- if you Google Brexit, just in general, depending on what you've Googled before, depending on your internet browsing history, depending on uh, the kind of content that you consume, if you Google Brexit, you're going to see two different um, sort of websites or two different sort of results pop up, depending on if you're a very left-wing person that has left-wing views, depending on, and if you're a right-wing person having right-wing views, you're going to see completely different articles pop up just, just because you're being influenced. And sometimes you don't even know it. Yeah, no, that's true. I guess it's just important to recognize that these things happen and to be aware of, like, you know, the sort of traps that are out there because, like, what you talk about with, with um, Brexit is a very telling example because, like, I was talking to someone a while back, I think this is probably mm-hmm. during the same the same period, that 2016, mm-hmm. about Twitter and social media and, like, it's easy to find stats or facts to back up your point of view on online because that's all you're going to see. Mm-hmm. That's the camp that you're in. Like, I've always tried to follow people that are somewhat neutral. Like I follow a lot of fans of other football clubs, like just so I can get a more holistic view instead of just seeing all of this one, you know, one side of the coin at all times. Yeah, I think it's sort of like one side bashing the other side. I've sort of I, that's how I think of it. Like for example, you'll see one person that follows very like, let's say left wing Twitter. You follow like if everyone you follow on Twitter is going to be left wing Twitter, you're really just mainly accessing or talking to people within left wing Twitter. And that sort of like all the articles you see will reaffirm your views. All the articles you see and consume will sort of just be contained within that political sphere. And then the same thing will happen within the right wing sphere. And 
it continuously perpetuates us by continuously strengthens each side's views. And again, it just becomes to a point where you develop extremities on both sides and like the middle ground. And then eventually it just sort of becomes like once there is an interaction between these two extremities, it's toxic. It's not really sort of we're trying to reach a solution because you've already like in your head, because of the articles you've consumed, because of the, the data you've consumed, the, the, the solution has already been presented to you and you've already like created the solution in your mind already. So what you think is already correct and what the other side uh, believes is already incorrect. Like I can be guilty of that too. Like obviously, and then obviously there are certain things I'm not going to say like, for example, oh yeah, the left wing say stuff that like we all know is true, but then like it can be argued upon. Like I know, for example, let's talk about like, for example, if we talk about black lives matter, like one side would be like all lives matter. And one side would be black lives matter. Obviously like I'm not going to really, Defend and be like, yeah, guys, all lives matter. We can argue for this. I'm not like, you can't. Like, <laughs> you really can't. So, <laughs> yeah. There are certain things that obviously are sort of indefensible, indefensible in my opinion. But it is what it is. I don't really know how to, to delve deeper into it. I'm not as articulate as I hoped I'd be. So. That's <laughs> <laughs> nah, all good, man. It's all good. I think, um, like one final point on that is that people need to, I understand the difference, I guess, between criticism and hate. Like, mm. not every comment that is contrary to your beliefs is, is essentially a hate comment. Like, some people are just trying to educate. Some people are just trying to have a discussion. And you do see it very, like, I hate to bring politics into it, but you do see it very frequently in politics where it's, uh, like, on your point, just don't have all that matters, black lives matter. There's no reason for that to be a fight, for there to be, like, riots and shit over that one comment. Whereas, People quickly politicize issues and it very rapidly becomes aggressive and, and, um, well, are you talking violent. About, are you talking about just have to. In person, are you talking about aggressive and violent over Twitter? Um, um, well, to be fair, <laughs> on the topic of Black Lives Matter, that actually did happen in real life, like protecting the statues and fighting men and stuff, but I'm talking more specifically on socials, like how people just quickly get into mad beefs online, mad, um, DMs and stuff over something that was really just a regular critical statement that <laughs> never needed to be taken, um, so harshly. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's just, I think it's, all right, let me ask you this question, all right? Mm. All lives matter, right? All lives matter. If we, if we go on specifically all lives matter, right? If, if, if all lives matter, surely, surely the black lives that are, that are being murdered on the streets and American black lives being murdered across the streets in the world. If all lives really matter, surely all of these guys will be outraged too, right? They, they'd be outraged just as much as we are because based on their statement, all lives matter. So they should be outraged too. Mm. Like, like, com- like that's common sense, right? If all lives matter, you should be outraged that these lives also die or all these lives being murdered. But they're not because I think it's not in, in certain situations, in certain circumstances, it's not necessarily about defending or critiquing another side. It's sort of creating conflict because you want conflict because you have deeper views that you want to extract. Because when you think about all lives matter, it's sort of, it's racist. It's racist. Yeah. That's why, yeah. So that's why, like, I'm not going to sort of like, like, that's why it's, it's not really a thing about critiquing or sort of, uh, arguing against it. It's just because you're racist. Yeah. It's kind of sad to see, but I guess. There's not really much that can be done at this point in time. Mm. 
I don't know. I think, I think one thing that, like, one takeaway I've taken from, like, Black Lives Matter and, like, the, the movement from this summer. Also, by the way, just to let you know, like, for example, you know, the protests that are going on in America, they're still going on. Like, just because we don't hear about in the news doesn't mean that they're not going on. It's just sort of died down in the news, but, like, it's continuously going on on a daily basis in America. And mm. I think it's a great thing because awareness has been raised. And I, I at least want to be optimistic in the sense that I want to see change and changes happening, albeit slowly. Um, at least there are changes being made and we can sort of be hopeful in that fact. I don't want to be pessimistic and just assume that, yeah, you know what, there's nothing I can do. Nothing's going to be changed. I at least want to be optimistic in the sense that, you know what, like things are like there is momentum there. And how can I help keep this momentum going and how can I help make the change go? As in like, for example, because let's say with my mentality about, yeah, you know what, it's just life. Like, for example, there's not much more I can do as a person. If everyone thought like that, then, you know, the momentum will slowly like slow down and like we wouldn't really make progress. But you, I think as a person, you just have to be optimistic and just keep, keep pushing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think my interpretation on like racism, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try and be concise because obviously this isn't, this isn't the platform for, <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, in-depth debate, but I think I very much see it as like I was explained the other day. I kind of see racism as like a World War Zero because it's not. It's so much bigger than just black and white, or you know, white on Asian. Or like racism is an actual thing that is a worldwide issue that has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's you know way beyond politics, way beyond social. Like it's an actual mm-hmm. um, prominent thing that goes on. Yeah, the way I see it is like. Just t- like, I see it the same way as like a typical war. You have like your generals, you have your captains, your this, your that, and your troops. I think the troops are like the, the social media warriors or the black square stuff. They kind of just do their part. But we really need actual, you know, generals, actual leaders within the black community ourselves to designate people to target one war at a time. Like one battle at a, t- at a time, sorry. Like police brutality is one thing. I mm-hmm. think, like we'll touch on this in a second anyway, but like institutional racism, mm-hmm. um, getting access into these different industries like finance and stuff that we talk about as well. Like these are all different battles that mm-hmm. come under the overall umbrella, the overall war of, you know, race. And mm-hmm. I think my stance is that I see myself as someone who like this podcast, for example, I'm kind of opening spaces, people to chat. I'm kind of like in some capacity, like I hope <laughs> there are people out there, uh, ethnic minorities that are listening and trying to learn how to get into these places through what I say, what we mm-hmm. say, the advice we give and that's very much my stance. Like, I don't think we can change how people think, but mm. we can definitely change the people that are in the positions that have to do the thinking for us. And I just want to keep bringing up that bottom line, making sure that one day it's going to be someone that can compete, that can make the decisions, that can make systematic change or systemic change. I don't know how to articulate that, what I asked you, what the differences between the two words, but that's my stance on it. That's why I think I can't really do anything in terms mm. of, you know, arresting the guys that killed Breonna Taylor, for example. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not putting the hashtag out because I don't think anything's going to happen. But I think one day if we do keep putting people in the spots to make changes, then, mm-hmm. you know, maybe our kids or grandkids will <laughs> will have a better life. Maybe you can you can bring Hackney up to, to the standard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't, don't, don't sell me that highly. I'm not that great of a person. Um, <laughs> I get what you're trying to say. I get what you're trying to say. Like, a systematic and targeted approach like on on multiple fronts and sort of being a bit targeted in how we do things Mm. um it's tough because a there's no real sort of like central place where like um 
I don't know, like, with racial equality, it's very tough because, um, it's, 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 uh, you know, I'm just trying to think how to word this because we do need to be more systematic and it's, like, it, it is what you said. Like, for example, there are different, like, branches on how, like, racism is, like, there's racism in the workplace, there's racism, uh, by police brutality, there's racism in education and, there are loads of branches that need to be tackled and it takes time because we need the right people in the right positions to sort of get us into that platform. And that's dependent on us. Remember, because let's say, for example, you're voting for the politicians that elect these people in those positions. You're also working in these sectors as well. So you need to be able to be in a position to a, either like maybe you should be the one that should be in this, like obviously not now as a 22 year old, person you're not going to really be the the managing director of a firm that's going to be like i'm going to be the one leading on racial equality and how we hire people in the firm but sort of like developing yourself to eventually either a become that person or at least help promote and help people get into that position so it's a tough one and it does take time and i think it's annoying because like how much time does it need to take because well um this is what been going on for hundreds if not thousands of years like, are we really gonna just keep saying it's gonna keep, it's gonna take time, it's gonna take time when all, we, all, all that's happened is time and not much has changed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, and you brought this word up last time that kind of stuck with me as well when we talked about being deliberate. Mm. And actually, like, it's one thing to say, oh, time heals and your time will make change. But if you're just sitting there waiting for change to happen, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen itself. Yeah. You have to keep the, Keep your foot on the gas and keep mm-hmm. instigating those changes. Otherwise, like, it's time in vain. Mm-hmm. And I think even just with deliberate choices, I think that applies for everything. You have to make sure that I think as a person, in terms of the choices that you make with regards to your career, with regards to your university choices, with regards to how you spend your time, you're in control of it, basically. And you just need to make sure that, like, for example, even if it's a bad choice, even if it's a choice that you might regret or you learn from or a sort of, something at least be deliberate in your choice and at least make sure that the choice you're making is right for you at that time it might be right for you at that time and it turns out you know what uh i made the wrong choice but at least be deliberate and ensuring that you know at least i made that choice and i I made that choice when it was the right choice for me at that time and you know you can stand by that choice because of the reason you've made and then obviously with hindsight you can sort of be like oh i could have done i could have done this i could have done that but at least you know sort of why you made that choice and like you can you can stand by that reason yeah 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 I think tying that all together, mm-hmm. do you feel like your, I guess, perspectives and your, you know, life experiences to date have influenced the way you've gone about, you know, applying to jobs, applying to, or like, I guess, progressing in your job and mm-hmm. I guess university as well in some capacity? Cause surely, like, when you know that, you know, your home, your home country is not the safest, you know, that your area is like being rapidly gentrified, mm-hmm. you're, kind of intrinsically at a disadvantage just based on your race like Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that compelled you to work so much harder Mm. Um, you know I think I mentioned this to you before but like my mentality and working hard is always it's always been the same it's always been consistent and I think I can link it back to being deliberate in your choices in the in the fact that for me I try and live my life in the mentality of not having a regret and what I mean by that is, um, obviously, so with me, it's all, it's always sort of ensuring that 
with whatever I do, I put my, my best effort, my, my, all my work, all my effort, all sort of like, all my preparation into what I do. So for example, um, with my uni, with my exams, with my uni exams, with my work, with my, well, just with my life as well. Like if I put all my effort into everything, if I make sure that I do what I can do and ensure that I've done what I can for this specific thing, at the end outcome I'll always be happy with because I know that I couldn't have done more to change the aspect I couldn't have done more to change the outcome but let's say for example I do an exam and I get a C but I know I put all my hardest work into getting that C I'm not I'm going to be happy with that C because I know I couldn't have put more work into getting above a C so if I put all my work into it I know I couldn't have done more so I'm going to be happy with it and for me it's ensuring that how can I then make all my choices and how can I make all my outcomes how can I be happy with all my outcomes and be happy with all my choices? Because I know that I've put all my work and all my effort and sort of, um, I have done what I can for this. So then whatever happens, I know I've done the best that I could. And for that reason, I'll be happy with it. Um, I do that with my uni degree. I do that with my work and I ensure that, for example, I just make sure that I don't want to leave with the, with the thought that I could have, I have regrets. So I know that, I, for example, I could have done better here or I could have done more here or I should have done this and I should have done that. I don't like that mentality. For me, it's at least, okay, if something didn't go as well, I can be like, all right, I can learn from this and do this instead. But it's not a mentality of I should have done this at that time. It's sort of, I can learn from this and, and put this in a different scenario, a different environment. But I never want to be in a position where I think to myself, I should have done this or I could have done this more because I at least want to be in a position where with whatever I do, I'm always happy with the outcome because I put my work into it. I walk mm. for at least five minutes straight. I'm sorry, again, I keep waffling, but... <laughs> No, it's perfect, man. That's why we're here for for ninety minutes. <laughs> so you can just hear me waffle and ramble. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. That's a, a great time to plug my clips channel where we we try and cut out some of that waffle. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> for the culture, bro. Mm. I think the first time you, we talked in, on this topic was um in relation to competition, right? You were saying mm-hmm. that you appreciate if guys try and compete with yeah. you, if it brings out the best of them, but you're just happy to yeah. do the best you can. Yeah. So, um, just to give some context to the people listening to context, right? Um, like, um, Jordan asked me what I thought about competition and I told him I didn't care about competition because for me, it was always sort of doing the best that I could. It was never really sort of me comparing myself to others and ensuring that I like my position is dependent on how relative I am to other people. It's always sort of been if I do the best that I can, I'm always going to be happy regardless of if I'm first or I'm last. As long as I did the best that I could, I will be happy. And um, that's always been a mentality for me. But I know that that mentality is not the same for other people. Some other people sort of want to be above you. Some people um, push themselves because of me. So, so some people would push themselves because of yourself. And I'm not going to put them down because of that. So, for example, if someone, um, if someone, let's say in class, someone wants to get a better grade than you and you're sort of like their motivation to doing that, I will let, I will let myself be their competition. I will be competition for them to push them, to push them to do better because like at least my friends are doing better because of me. At least I'm helping them push themselves harder and work harder. But for me, it's never been. My, my motivation has been the people around me to, to push them myself because of them. It's always been, I've always been pushing myself to be the best that I could. So if I'm the best that I can and I'm putting the hardest work that I can for myself, I know that, for example, the people around me that use me as competition or sort of use me as motivation, I, I'm also pushing them forward because of my work. So it's always about how can I help the people around me and how can I help myself? But I, I've never wanted, I've never liked, I've never liked comparing myself with other people. 
because say for example I base myself on how smart I am there will be someone smarter than me 100% and eventually like I could be the smartest in my class there'll be someone smarter than me in my school if I'm the smartest in my school there'll be someone smarter than me in the country or the city or the world like there will always be someone better than you at one aspect that you think you're good at unless you're Cristiano Ronaldo which you're probably not and in, in which case if Cristiano Ronaldo's listening to this uh, hit me up my Instagram's down below <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, just like in that case, like you're not, it's very rare to be the best in the world. Like you're one in what, seven, eight billion, which is ridiculously rare. So you will always meet someone that's going to be better than you at one aspect. So for me, like comparing myself to other people and basing my, my self-worth on that wasn't really a route that I wanted to take. So it was sort of just, if, as long as I do the best that I can for myself, I'll always be happy with myself. Mm-hmm. I hear that, man. And I think Brian had an interesting take on, um, on that as well from, I think, was it Outliers? He also explains different books that he's reading. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's always someone that, even the people that are doing better than you, there's always an outlier that mm-hmm. had, it's a crazy set of circumstances. Like mm-hmm. maybe you didn't get into Oxford, even though you got three stars, but there was one guy who had like 20 billion pounds and knows the, you know, knows the senior faculty member and all this stuff. But like, there's always someone who has an advantage, even environmentally, let alone their, you know, individual skill set. Like if you're always comparing to someone else, you're never going to win that battle. And mm-hmm. I think you said that you, you put that very well. Yeah. And what you said as well, like, it's more about being better than yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm linking this to J. Cole because J. Cole the GOAT. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Because I, I remember him saying, um, like, for example, like if you base your self-worth on materialistic goods as well, for example, if you base it on, let's say, trying to get your first million, as soon as you get your first million, you're not going to be like, all right, I'm there, I'm happy now. You're still going to be want to chase your next million. And after you get that, you're going to be sort of chasing the next million. And say, for example, it's not a million pounds, say you're chasing a car, once you want this dream car, you're going to sort of, once you reach that dream car, it's not like you're going to be eternally happy. You're sort of going to be one of chasing another car. Or for example, if you have one house, maybe you want another house or you're sort of continuously chasing and continuously moving in that direction. And you're sort of never really satisfied in that aspect, in my opinion. Mm. And you still need to base your happiness and your self-worth in the things that are sort of the intangibles, you know, like your friends, your family, your relationships, like as in like the things that truly make you happy. Um, I'm not saying that like some people, some people's family aren't like the best. That's, 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 that happens too. That's, that's a fact. Um, you know, it's sort of just being in an environment that's good for you. That's happy for you. And like a hundred percent, you will never always be happy. That's never, that's never a sort of thing. It's always about like, you know, happiness is sort of a peak and it sort of goes up in peaks and then you've got the trust with it as well. And it's sort of ensuring that you're, you're in that, you're always sort of like aiming for that middle point, that sort of point of like, of contentment rather than happiness. You're sort of in that middle ground where you're sort of, not, not that middle ground, that bit above the middle ground, but just a bit below the peak. So you're always sort of in that stability region. That's always the way I've thought about like being happy and sort of being satisfied. And it's just contentment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote that. That kind of makes me want to attract my point before on, um, you know, physical reward, reward versus emotional reward because, yeah. like, when you think of cars and houses and all this materialistic stuff, that's all literally <laughs> you're driven by the physical reward of having this fancy car. But fundamentally, it was it does always come down to like mm-hmm. what I don't want to say impact. I don't really like the word impact. Mm-hmm. But you know, what have you actually done? What have you actually stood for? When you like, someone said it to me a while back, and it's like, um. I think like your gravestone quote or something like what are they, what's going to be on your gravestone what are people going to remember you by and that's always something that drives me like what am I going to be remembered by because I hope it's not you know buying a Tesla at 22 that can be lit that'll be, be kind of lit though still <laughs> 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 imagine doing it imagine your team just says 
bought a Tesla at 22, bought a Lambo at 24, that's his, <laughs> that's him. <laughs> no, I, I feel you, but I think, um, I think just deeper than, just deeper than like your, your sort of gravestone quote, it's sort of, I like impact on the world is sort of like a, I think that's sort of a bit of a, a self gratifying type thing. It's not really about your impact on the world. For me, it's sort of been like the impact on the people around you, you know, like, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in the, in the, in the, in the instance where you pass away. I'm thinking of it in just on a daily basis. Like, do you have a positive impact or a positive relationship with the people around you? Do you push your friends and your, do you push your family to be, be better because you're around? Like, do you help them become better people? Do they help you become better people or better person? Sorry. Like, how does that work and how does that dynamic function? And if it doesn't, then that's something you need to consider. But I think it's just about like, on a daily basis, like, how am I helping the people? Not like, I don't think you're, you need to be obligated to continuously help the people around you as well. That's not something that's obligatory upon you, but it's sort of like, do you have a positive impact on the people around you? Like, do they, are they better people? Are they happier? Are they sort of functioning better in life? Do they, do they, are they happy all around sort of type thing where like, it's tough to sort of like determine this, but, it's sort of just, are you in the right environment for yourself? Mm. I'm waffling. I'm sorry. Like, I can just tell <laughs> the past one and a half hours have been complete mumbo jumbo for myself. And for that, I apologize. <laughs> then once I, I'll probably make a transcript and then get someone to voice over the useful bits. <laughs> <laughs> it always is, man. It's always me, man. It's always me. You probably nah, just, good, man. You didn't have the same issues with Ayo and and Brian and Ash and oh, it's just me, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, this is a good one, still. I'm not gonna lie. Ayo is different. Ayo is like the most concise, articulate guy in the world. It's annoying. I hate talking to him. <laughs> I just feel like an idiot. It's like for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, I must be like the complete opposite. I'm like, yeah, you can just keep speaking to him. Just keep pushing him. And he'll just chat nonsense at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Very much like um, you know, our guys say must. Mustafi's got a mistake in him. Hmm? Sorry, guys like Mustafi who have a mistake in him. Oh, that's me, man. That's me, man. I'm, I'm the Mustafi of the team. <laughs> Unless um, it's, I think at least with football, I at least I at least am like happy with what I can say. Like I can at least back my stuff up, and and I'm a lot more deliberate with what, what I say. At least like for the past hour, I've sort of been just going with the flow. But with football, I can at least be way more deliberate in terms of the, the things that I say. That's the one thing I can yeah. confident on. That's the one thing. We'll have a look at um, Haiti <laughs> episode seven. <laughs> See what the scene is saying. I, I was good in that episode, and I performed well. I was that was that was one of my better games. So yeah, feel free to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the link down below. Haiti is a good time. I mm. think um, now that we started it, I start to value university a lot more because it's like the people you meet really are fucking like crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I've always I've always come into the mentality where where, for example, if you go into uni and you leave uni with just a 2-1 or a first or a 2-2, if all you can say you left with uni was just that grade on a piece of paper, you've wasted your time. I think the university experience is more than just going to uni, attending the courses and getting getting that degree out of it. It's sort of what comes with that degree in terms of um, the people you meet. I think one thing that uni is incredible for is a network that you create and um you can meet so many like, like-minded individuals that people are like you and you can sort of expand your sort of horizons. 
I think uni is incredible for that. And I think that's why people should use that to sort of expand themselves. And like, if you leave with just a two one or a first, you've wasted your time. You need to be able to come out with some sort of tangible and intangible factors and elements that sort of, you know, have made you into a better person, have expanded your horizons. You've tried new things and you can sort of say you've developed as a person. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think to give some context to the HET point, like that's our other podcast that me, Osbin, do together with a bunch of other guys, Halftime Tangerines. Um, <laughs> no one's going to know what HET stands for just off the bat. <laughs> but no, I completely agree. Like uni is way more than what it should be, at least way more than just your degree on its own. And I think Ayo talked about this a lot on his podcast that I didn't really appreciate until this year as well. There's things like, you know, societies, um, even things like talking to your personal tutor or talking to your lecturers that most people kind of just see them as teachers, like in school, which is a regular teacher. In uni, these guys are literally like proper researchers. These are your professors that are, um, depending on where you go, the, how do the word for that? The creme de la creme, the top end of, um, of their research area of their field. And it's like, the people you meet there, like I've been talking about, like you, people you meet in societies, like in Bristol, for example, we have like the chocolate society, the cheese society, all this random stuff that doesn't actually make sense. But it's meeting people that obviously have an extraordinary interest <laughs> in chocolate for some reason, or your professors that have a extraordinary knowledge in, you know, AI or robotics, um, whatever field you're into, the potential you have outside of your degree is ridiculous. Not to mention, like, obviously it's a different experience for you for staying at home, but guys that were, living out like having the well to be fair you might have done this yourself as well but like being independent all the cooking the cleaning the um learning how to pay rent and pay bills mm-hmm. and so many lifelong skills that are going to take you yeah. way beyond your career like mm-hmm. even on a small level like one of my friends i was talking to he was <laughs> i probably shouldn't be too specific as you know who he is but i was talking to him the other day and he doesn't he lacks a lot of the the social nuance i guess that you kind of build by going to lectures, he just never went outside. <laughs> and so you can, you can kind of tell this guy is still somewhat 16 years old because you don't really understand what moist means and stuff like that. Like, fuck off. <laughs> no, not you, just so there's guys out there. I know, I know, I know. Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you off camera, but, <laughs> but now there's so much to learn at uni. And if you do come in and come out with just a 2 1 or a 2 2 or first or whatever, like, you've really, fumbled the bag mm. on that one because there's yeah. so much I agree I agree I think um, I think one of the big experiences of uni that's changed me is um, joining the Somali side at UCR I think that was a really massive experience for me because um, I think before uni I was probably actually yeah before uni I was the only like Somali in my year group I was the only Somali in my primary school so other than my family directly and um, like I just didn't know any just in general so then um, I think it was just cool to meet people that are sort of from a similar background as you and you sort of like like it's nice to just meet people and it's expanded my horizon in many different ways and a lot of those guys from that society that I've met are like one of my closest friends now so um it's opened myself to a new horizon that I never really explored before and it's an amazing experience just like I think just that just from one society and then you can go to other societies and meet like really incredible new people and sort of and you can learn about different things like I think a lot of these people that you meet in these societies let's say for example me I was very lucky in, in the sense that um my secondary school was sponsored by UBS and I was exposed to the financial industry from a very, very early age. Um, some of these people that go to uni have no idea what anything is. Like they go into uni their first year 
and they have no idea what spring week is and people in their course are being like, oh, have you applied to this spring week? Have you applied to this spring week? And I was applying to spring week to my first year. Actually, I only applied to two. But, um, so I applied to spring week to my first year because I knew about them, but a lot of these guys didn't and they had no idea what any of this kind of stuff was about. But just me being there and sort of being a sort of like a network for some people and just being able to like, um, tell others like, guys, um, this is what the finance, financial industry is about. This is sort of like how you can get a grad scheme. They didn't really know much about grad schemes either. They were sort of just going to uni because that was sort of the next stage to do, but sort of like expanding the horizon, teaching about new different things. Um, it's a really cool thing and it sort of has like a, a powerful impact because now you look at a lot of these guys and a lot of these guys have like grad schemes and summer internships and, and spring weeks and a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, it can be traced back to like one sort of moment in, in the first year when they met you and, and you helped them out. So, um, like the people you meet in uni can be very powerful in, in, in how they shape uh, your potential life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big thing as well. Like, because mm-hmm. when you get to uni, like you talked about at the beginning of the podcast, like you have a lot more free time. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't, you know, you don't know about these um, opportunities, mm-hmm. you, this is the first time in life you really have the time to go out there and explore all these different avenues because like, there's no way I would have started a podcast like in the working life because I wouldn't have had the time. Mm-hmm. But having the flexibility as well, Oh, as well as all the opportunities and the resources and the people mm-hmm. in uni, like it really is unparalleled. I feel like to any other stage in life. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's why you just need to to use it to the maximum. Do you think you did? Looking back, um, I think my first year definitely not. My second year, I sort of started getting into the rhythm of it, the rhythm. Sorry, um, but my third year, I think I I I, I used uni to the absolute max. I think I maxed out my experience during my third year. I think. That's when I probably had like the full experience and I was like incredibly satisfied with, with everything. So like third year is when I saw I put a hundred, hundred percent work, a hundred percent of effort into my, into my degree and my studies. Uh, I, I mashed hard. I was part of the committee for the smart site in UCL and on my third year, uh, we mashed incredibly hard there. And so we raised, I think like 20,000 pounds for charity, um, right. um, to like to build, I think at the time, what was it? It was to like fund maternal health care in Somalia. So then like, um, like funding like uh, training for nurses and midwives to help like um to help um pregnant mothers and pregnant um women give birth and then like sort of help develop a more systematic and formal education for these nurses and midwives outside of just like people in the family that sort of know how to give like how to help people give birth sort of just giving some more like formal medical health training and this was sort of done in conjunction with like Yale University that had people in the ground doing this kind of work and it was really an incredible feeling and it was sort of like you, like you, you felt like you had an impact and you felt like you were making some changes. And that was just an, on a society. But then on that society, working with these guys, it, it develops like really like deep bonds with these guys. And, um, just, that's just this, just one society and this, just one committee. Um, that was just, but then like other, other people you meet in uni, um, the experiences that you have, the people that you meet, the, like you just do so many different things. And I just did so many different things in my third year that. Um, when I left third year, when I left uni and I graduated my third year, I was sort of like, Ooh, I wish I just did masters just for one more year, just for one more year of doing this because I wish I just had a bit more time or I wish I just did, the, I wish I changed things in first year to be able to have experienced this a little bit more. But I think it's life and it is what it is. Yeah, I hear you. It's almost like you kind of hit full stride mm-hmm. on the last lap, but when it was just kind of too late to, re- I mean, you, it sounds like you still did a lot. Like that's a crazy thing that you did with, um, raising the money and stuff but yeah you can only imagine what one more year would have done yeah it is i mean as in it's the journey that matters isn't it? it's the it's the mental and mental development behind it because 
I went through all of that in first year to know, for example, I've learned what I did wrong in first year because then I took that into my second year and then I took what went well in my second year and put it into my third year. So like, yeah, I can say I have regrets of what happened in first year, of what I could have done more on and or what I, what I could have done less in. But again, it's sort of, I'm also glad I went through that experience as well because it's sort of, I would now have went through, I still understand what I did wrong. Mm. Do you feel like you still have the flexibility to, I guess, excel and build on yourself now that you're at work? Um, as in, but like build yourself, build on, build upon myself how? As in outside of my career or sort of just like personal development goals? I guess a mix of the two, because you were saying you took what, you know, what worked in first year and applied it to second year and then second year to third year. Can you still do, you know, what worked well in third year and apply that to your work? Or is it kind of like, now that uni's over, it's a fresh start. Uh, it's a bit of both, really. Um, I think in the case where going to uni, I think it gave me a mentality of whatever's going to get mashed will get mashed. Whatever work has to get done will get done. I think, um, especially during in times of struggle during my exam season or during times of struggle during coursework season, um, there are times when you're just like, I don't know if I can get this exam done. I don't know if I can just... But then you just mentally just push yourself to the brink where you're thinking by this time next week, it's done. Like, it's going to get done regardless. Like, this will get mashed. This will get worked on. It will be finished. And I just need to keep going to push myself to finish this task. And I've taken that mentality into work where, for example, you know, you go through some tough, tough um, tasks and projects at work where you're sort of thinking you can't really see the end goal. You can't really see the the, the aim or the task or the objective. Or as in, you know the task and objective, you just don't know how you're going to get there to the end. It's sort of like, there's a bit of an unclear or murky pathway. And yeah. That, that mentality sort of helped me be like, yeah, you know what? It's, it's going to get mashed. Like this time next week, it's done. I just need to make sure I get into that position to, to be able to finish it and just keep like trotting along the way. And like mentality wise, that sort of really helped like strengthen my resolve. Um, but in terms of like personal development, it's sort of, I think once you finish uni, you're sort of lost mentally. I think I was lost mentally when I finished um, university because I was sort of thinking to myself, where do I want to be? Like, you know, you get asked that, that typical interview question, where do you want to be in five years? And you, sort of <laughs> always have, you always have to give that generic BS, be like, yeah, in five years, I want to be working at, you know, a company like this or maybe yours, blah, blah, blah. You know, just be like, um, you know, working in this, being in this position, being able to work in a fast paced environment, that sort of blah, blah, like, you know, all the key buzzwords and you're just trying shit. But <laughs> once, yeah, you yeah. Finish, once you finish uni, you actually have to think about, okay, my grad scheme's for two years. Once I finish my grad scheme, that's like, what, where do I go from there? What, what do I really want to do in my career? And sort of like, I had this conversation with my manager, I think two weeks ago, cause he was like to me, Osman, um, like, where do you want to be in five years? Like, what do you want your career to be? Like, I'm your manager. You can sort of tell me like, what kind of things do you want out of your career? What kind of things do you want to do? And like, where is the right place to, for you to develop? And I just told my manager, honestly, I have no idea. Like, I just don't know right now. Uh, for me, the first year of work has always been a learning experience. Just absorb as much knowledge as I can, absorb as much as I can to then be in a position where now that I've absorbed as much as I can or I've learned as much as I can, what do I enjoy learning about? What do I not enjoy? And where can I sort of specialize myself into being in a specific position? Mm. Yeah, I see that. Because I think even in a, you know, in a macro sense, five years is long. (laughs) Yeah, a lot can change. In that. Years, I'm 27. That's kind of shit to know, you know. You just feel old. <laughs> Word. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what. I don't even know what I want to be in one year, let alone five. I mean, I have a, a some sort of a loose plan, but 
I always hate that question because you really expect me to know exactly what's gonna, <laughs> like, what I plan to happen. It's, it's yeah, mad. I think, especially for me, I think, um, I think as as people, you're it's always easier to know what you don't want to do rather than what you do want to do. Mm. But I I just thought of it backwards. I'm like, what do I not want to be doing in five years? What do I not want to? What do I? Where do I not see myself going? And then as soon as you just keep, you keep like ticking out those options, you're sort of left with an idea of, all right, now I know what I don't like. This is the universe of things that I, I seemingly, I seemingly do like. So now that I have this sort of universe of things I like or I think I don't like, let me try this kind of stuff out and see where it goes from here. Like, you know what you don't like and it's very hard to know what you do like or you know, like, it's very hard to know what you're actually passionate about because a lot of the things you actually haven't really tried in detail yet or you haven't actually tried out. But now is a sort of time to get into these um, environments, to get into these spheres, to try this kind of experience out and learn if it's the right thing for you. If you learn it's the right thing for you, that's fantastic. If you learn it's not the right thing for you, you can just rule it out and put it in the don't like section and you just keep following along. I think one thing we, we kind of mess up as people is uh, we, 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 we want to be successful by 25. We have goals by 26 that are, are ridiculously out of portion, sort of a bit mad. Um, and we still think 30 is a very, very old age and we're sort of like, our lives are over by 30. I, like, I, I think I, I went through the same thing. I thought of, used to think, yeah, by that point, I'm an old person. Um, when in reality, like your life's just about getting started at like 22, 23. Like that's when you're, you're, you're just about, like you're still super young. Like your career is just starting out. And, um, I think you have so, like that's the only thing we, we don't appreciate enough. We have so, so much time to sort of learn about things. And, Take things as we go. So yeah, I've waffled again, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good content, man. I think I agree, especially in the last point. Like mm. even being old now is different. Like I remember mm-hmm. I was talking to I think it might have been on Times Runes, it might not have been, but on top of Bamiyang, saying like, mm. oh, he's thirty-one now, he's getting old. I'm like thirty-one. You know, back in two thousand and one, was old for four. Yeah, but thirty-one now is like. You know, 26 back then, you're not actually getting old until you're probably hitting around 34, 36. Like, I mean, this is obviously an optimistic view because of, <laughs> of how, how, how much I look at tech. But like, my perspective is that we're going to live to at least, you know, 130, 140, maybe even 150. Uh, just because well, of how. What? 130? Mate, are you mad? Are honestly, you like, if you think about it, the people that are 90 years old today mm-hmm. were born in what? 1930? Mm-hmm. Like, Times were so different back then. And that's not to say that things are, you know, substantially diff- that better now, but at least in terms of technology, in terms of knowledge, in terms of science, like I can easily see us ex- exceeding 90 and 100. I don't think 130 is that far out of reach, given that, you know, we're 22 now. There's 100 years to go until we get there. I can only imagine how far tech's going to evolve and how far science is going to evolve in the next few years to mm-hmm. assume that 150 isn't that far out of reach. Again, that's obviously an optimistic view because I'm into tech, but I think traditionally when it's like, oh, you want to get married by 30, the people that are saying that are the ones that were, you know, their parents died at six. Now that our parents are still alive at like 80, 90, it's like, do you really want to be married for 60 years? That's more than, more than your whole life. That's like two lifetimes effectively. Bro, that's like, life goals, man. That's goals, man. That's goals. <laughs> hey, keep that to yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think um, one thing that needs to be considered is when, like, we're living through a very, very new age now in terms of mobile phones. Don't really exist in the way that they did, um, like, 
30 years ago as they do now. Um, mm. Televisions aren't as consumed as deeply as they are now. I think with the new, with the amount of new technology that's sort of spurring about, like let's say pollution sort of increasing rapidly as well, there are sort of like there are sort of effects that like might also like affect us negatively in a medical sense as well that also need to be taken into account. So obviously, for example, technology will evolve into a place where we can sort of um, medical like medical science is going to improve rapidly. I I I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I think there are also like negative aspects of technology or negative aspects of the environment that we live in, which can also um, limit us as people in terms of expected age. So I don't know. I think for me, 130 is a bit, it's a bit optimistic. I, I'm thinking like maybe 100, 105, maybe like, I'm thinking like 90 and 105. That's sort of my, my, my like sort of expectation or estimate on like average lifetime. Hmm. I hear you. I don't know, man. Like my granddad passed at what, 93, 92? Like, if I only make it to 90 and I was born 70 years later, I'm going to be a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a wild take. That is such a wild take. That is a wildest take. Someone said I'm mad because my granddad was 93 and I was 90. What kind of take is this? <laughs> oh, man. I'm the, I'm the epitome of cancel culture, man. <laughs> I, I cleaned up for, for socials, but <laughs> I can't wait to cancel you. I can't wait. I'm just gonna expose, I'm gonna expose this podcast in like five years time when you have your third Lambo and be like, this piece of shit was talking about random shit back in 2008. <laughs> Go back to our Tanzanian chat. The amount of the amount of comments I deleted. <laughs> future proofing, man. Man, thanks. But you you can't future proof the podcast itself unless you delete the episodes. And you've got some wild takes in there. I hope. Never know, man. I've got too much power as the editor. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot you are the. You know what? We need more. We need more editors because I think it's just a bit, a bit biased because the amount of shit you've got me on is is ridiculous. <laughs> I think you just target me specifically. How can I not target a Man City fan? A United fan, bro. Get yeah, right. <laughs> I know you did that on purpose, you piece of shit. No, nah, I honestly forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because how many City fans do you know? Just you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, all right. well played. Well played, well played. <laughs> that one, <man>. Fuck City. <laughs> um, I think one thing to, I guess, touch on last, that we talked about last time but haven't brought up so far yet, is um, like the power of social media. Because we talked about it in a very negative light initially. Like, like, um, Kind of touched on cancel culture and, uh, well, fucking the bee just came in my car. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I fucking, the wasp just came out of nowhere. <laughs> but yeah, we talked a bit about, yeah, a bit about mm-hmm. cancel culture, a bit about, um, how to, of course, the fears, very much like antagonizing mm-hmm. each other. But last time mm-hmm. we also discussed the, you know, we had a take on, the increased access, how like people in Cornwall can access like London opportunities just because of socials now. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, yeah, um, if someone's listening and, and, and has got this far into the podcast, they probably think we have a very negative view on social media, but, um, it's actually on the contrary. I love social media. I think it's incredible for what it does. And, um, I think I spoke about this Jordan before and it's sort of like the access. And I think we can think it back to sort of like Black Lives Matter or sort of we can link it back to like, um, increasing awareness and the platform that it brings to people 
Whereas before, I think in terms of the traditional media, in terms of newspapers and television, you were sort of limited in terms of, um, you were sort of limited in terms of who you could reach because of just the people that were accessing those platforms. Um, specifically in terms of who was actually releasing that content or sort of creating that content itself. Now you're sort of living in an age where sort of everyone in themselves or like intrinsically is a content creator and has their own sort of platform intrinsically. And that in itself is powerful because now let's say, like, um, let's say we have a business owner in Edinburgh and they can now just as easily reach someone in Cornwall as they can someone in New York with the ability of a retweet or the ability of a like. If I have the ability to reach that platform, it can reach that platform and it can reach that, um, that person. And just that, that on that sole ability, like obviously, um, there are sort of dangerous implications on the kind of content that is reaching uh, worldwide and going around worldwide, but the platform that it creates and the ability that it opens up for people that traditionally didn't have that platform or that ability to express their opinions or express their voice is sort of so powerful because, um, like just like recently, Breonna Taylor, Ahmad Aubrey, um, these were like recorded videos. These were sort of, um, things that were shared on social media became so much more powerful because of social media without social media. Um, I would expect these kind of news stories to be suppressed, in my opinion. I think they probably would be suppressed or sort of quietened down because not many people would know. But sort of just the ability to keep um, retweeting, the ability to keep liking, the ability to keep sharing your platform. And now everyone is a content creator. Um, it enables small businesses to be able to operate at a higher level because now they can reach more people. Um, if I sell, if I sell headphones and I'm a headphone maker in um, Hackney, I, I'm not just localized to a physical the cool store in Hackney anymore. I can now sort of deliver worldwide because I'm now linked on Amazon. I can sort of create an Instagram page for my channel, um, for my, I'm sorry, for my shop or my store. I can reach millions theoretically. That doesn't actually mean I reach millions because of the size of my followers and sort of you have like actual limits in terms of capacity. But just, the, the, just, I think for me, the, just the positives outweigh the benefits dramatically because of the potential goodness that you can do obviously like in terms of potential bad that can happen it's great too but i just love what you can do with social media i think it's incredible i think it enables it's, it's a very enabling thing it's free you, you don't need to pay to make an instagram account you don't need to pay to make a twitter account you can make it and just from that ability you can start promoting stuff you can start sharing stuff you can start creating stuff and i can start sharing my thoughts with the world and i think that's an incredible and a very powerful tool. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree, man. I think my take as well is that technology and social media in particular is very much like a tool. Like, mm-hmm. and it's one of these, like it's not, obviously a hammer's kind of only got one purpose or a wrench only really got one purpose. Socials have technically speaking like an infinite number of purposes and obviously anything can be used in a good or a bad way, but the intrinsic, you know, nature of social media is overwhelmingly positive and i think like we talked about this a bit mm-hmm. on the tangerines channel as well but like certain adjustments could be made to just make things not perfect but way better for example you mm-hmm. talked about um what was it have an id like you have to verify yourself on twitter mm-hmm. for example so you can't just spit out random hate I'd, like i'd love that but mm. again like but you know people have burner accounts i think um, people tell me oh yeah but i want a burner account i want a private account that i don't need to sort of i don't want to share my identity with the public I think it needs to be worked out in a way that, for example, um, like uh, if I make an account, I can just verify my identity and I don't need to share my identity with the world, but at least it's verified with, with Twitter itself. But 
again, that's very dangerous in terms of like data and data protection, and data privacy laws. I think there needs to be some sort of like, I think that's one of the biggest issues with the tech industry in terms of it's this data privacy and data regulation. That's sort of one of the issues where in terms of governance, they sort of struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there needs to be a lot, a lot ironed out in terms of data collection, data privacy and data, data acts. But I think once that gets ironed out, I think the ability to sort of make a Twitter account, you have to verify your identity with Twitter. And for example, if someone reports you for, for spewing nonsense, hate, spewing racism, spewing just hate comments, you can be tracked down because of your identity and that can sort of help, um, just help like limit the number of sort of abuse people get. And I think that'd be a great thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think we're, we're coming up to the, you know, 130, 145 sweet spot. So I'm going to take one, one quick final take on that. But I think to be fair, as someone who loves tech, I want to take a shot at lawyers because these men that take so long to come up with these tech laws these tech regulations, like, come on, man. <laughs> it's not that hard. I, I remember watching, um, Facebook's, like Mark Zuckerberg sat down in front of, it wasn't Congress, but it was like obviously some high court in America. And they were saying some dumb crap. I'm like, you guys really need to up your game because the biggest barrier, the biggest obstacle right now of tech, and I'm sure to some degree you can agree with this as well. It's like, it's the financial institution, just the lawyers, it's the guys that don't know how to use it or don't understand how it works that are really, enabling these idiots to take advantage and to to make it appear as a negative thing like with football we talked about these guys that come out with these, these mad racist dms that send in these racist tweets if there was a law that came out way back saying like you have to do a certain thing before you can get onto socials or twitter i need to keep track of a certain amount of data things would make so much more sense the fact that, you know, we talked about earlier in the podcast, like Cambridge Analytica, all these things can frequently abuse data, just goes to show how these institutions are just so, like you talked about as well, the governance, like the governance institutions are so far behind that regulating tech, so far behind that implementing laws and rules that help, help keep you safe online. Like there's a big disconnect there. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. Like all the future lawyers that listen to this, you know, <laughs> fix up your game. <laughs> I think one thing you have to realize is, um, like, let's say I create Twitter in 2009. Mm. Am I going to expect data privacy acts or data right acts in 2008 before Twitter is created, before these issues come up? I think, like, when you think about how laws are created, they're sort of created in response or in, or sort of in return to something happening or an action happening to, to say that we should prevent this from happening again. Very reactive. Law. As in, like, it's very, like, reactive. And, um, that's the whole thing. Like, tech is, I think, obviously because we, we've, we are growing up in a very like techno- technology heavy um area or era era sorry like it's very tech heavy we're sort of we're sort of surrounded by tech we sort of think that all right tech is very sort of like old in in the sense that for example it's, it's been around since we were kids but in terms of like when you think about like modern history it's very 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 new and to expect the laws to come out immediately is also sort of unrealistic because like again we we never really knew the implications of like data rights and data privacy and how data can be abused until we found out about the Cambridge Analytica thing in 2016. Um, until then, we never really knew about the the depth that Facebook went into and how like sort of data was collected on people and how it can be used to sort of swing political um, agendas. But now that we know, how do we then prevent it? It's sort of like I know you, you say that, for example, when like if we knew years back that there was they, that you needed a reason to create a Twitter account like Twitter would never have blown up because people would never been able to make Twitter accounts. Like these laws wouldn't have been created in the first place. I think it's something that needs to happen now rather than it should have happened before. But 
it's, it's, it's going to be a long haul. I don't know. As in like, how are you going to work? Let's say, for example, you need a Twitter account. You need identity to fight. You need ID to verify a Twitter account. Does that mean all active Twitter accounts have to re-verify that, uh, has, have to sort of verify their identity? Like, how is that going to work with like, I don't know, like 30, 40, 50, 60 million profiles that exist across Twitter? Like, it's going to be a ridiculous amount of sort of, um, sort of like supervision. It's going to be, it's, it's a long, it's, a, it's going to take a long, long haul. And I don't know, I think it's going to face a lot of sort of, it's going to take at least like five, six years to even push through it to become an act in my opinion. Mm, absolutely. I just think we should have been more, I guess, proactive. Like my stance on it is I very much, I see these lawyers that know that mm. text about, but it's like when you have, is it patent law or patent law? I don't know how to pronounce the word, yeah. but like that sector obviously exists. And you'd think those guys would see like, okay, Apple are trying to implement, you know, this new voice assistant, your know, Siri back in what, 2009 or whatever. They would tell the, the guys that made the laws and be like, look, this is what's coming in. out. Try and think of ways this can be abused and then we'll go yeah. from there. I think it's crazy how, as you mentioned, like it took until 2016 to be like, oh shit, date is bad. Like, <laughs> and then suddenly ban everything. And now they're trying to slowly retract mm-hmm. some of these bans. Like what did mm-hmm. they trigger? What was it? Article 50? What was Brexit? Was Brexit 59? There was another article that they triggered that kind of like banned. I think, I don't actually, I can't remember. I don't know the actual article. I think Brexit was tri- triggered by Article 50. Okay. There was another one that I think was 59 or 64. Like the, it was like, Called the meme ban. I don't know if you remember seeing that around. Oh, Are they banning I mean, memes and changing? Yeah, or the copyright rules. It's like it's just so stupid that like, you have to get good. Yeah. <laughs> just be better. Uh, no, I think it's one of those things where like a lot of the people in the positions to make those changes. Are probably not the ones least equipped to handle technology and sort of like the new data sort of era because they just didn't grow up in it. They don't really like. Maybe it's just that like you need people that are more advanced in these areas or more specialists in these areas. But then again, say for example, the current data specialist on like the current, like if you wanted to hire someone that's a data specialist, that person might be a former senior executive at Twitter. Does that affect how they might be biased in their laws to ensure that Twitter can do what they Mm. can? And like there are implications that you need to consider, like the current experts that you think are the experts on data are probably experts because of the recent work that they've done at their firms or their corporate firms. So then that's also an application. Uh, an implication you need to consider. So it's tough shit. I'm just glad I'm not in that position. <laughs> That's where the money is, man. I'm good. M and A. What is this M and A? This is laws. <laughs> yeah, isn't. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> no, there's there's an element of M and A that applies to tech, finance, and law. Because obviously there's a lot of shit that you got to go through for it to all work out. But I'll leave that to, to them, man. I'm going <laughs> to stick to my, I'm going to stick to my podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, man, that's, um, that's all we've got time for. That was good. <laughs> Sweet. Um, it was great having you on for, for the remastered edition. It was, it was fun being on the remastered edition. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it went on wild segues. Well, but that's, that's what the people want. That's expected, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this, me and Ade talked about, um, taking his girlfriend to the shard in his episode. So, <laughs> so there's obviously a bit of room for, <laughs> for expansion. Let me read it. I need to, <laughs> <laughs> I need, I need, I need tips from Ade. <laughs>